Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the roll of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. Welcome to another episode of The Warning Woods. If you enjoy the podcast, please consider giving out five stars and writing a review. Reviews help spread the podcast to more listeners. If you want more creepy content, follow me on Instagram and TikTok at The Warning Woods. I'm Miles Thomas Tridel, and this story is called Demented. Beverly Grace Childress resides at the Shady Grove Retirement Home, where I work as a nurse. I became rather close with Bev, or at least as close as one can get to a dementia patient. I never knew Bev before the disease began eating away her mind, but I could tell she had been a sharp lady. In rare moments of lucidity, she told me all about her past and her family. Her past had died away and taken most of her family with it. Bev's only daughter OD'd on painkillers late in her 30s, and her alcoholic son-in-law went off the rails in grief. He was last seen spread across the pavement like melty butter on a hot pancake. An inconvenient guardrail had prevented him from crossing the highway's center line and sent him through the windshield instead. Beverly's older and only brother died in Shady Grove just a few months before Bev moved in. Since her parents are obviously long gone, Bev had only one remaining blood relative that she knew of, her grandson, Brandon. Brandon seemed like a sweet kid, despite a less-than-ideal childhood. He made semi-regular visits to his grandmother even though she rarely recognized him. All the staff felt at ease whenever he came to see Bev. Brandon usually came in the early afternoon, which happened to be when Bev was typically the most lucid. She didn't always recognize him, but with a little prodding, she would converse for a short time. Once Bev had been calmed, we, the nursing staff, always gave the two privacy. It seemed Bev's condition might be worsening, though, because, after a while, Brandon's visits always ended with her in hysterics. One afternoon, I waited just outside Bev's closed door until Brandon left. Sure enough, Bev was in tears and clutching her bedsheets up to her nose. He had to go, Beverly. I'm sorry, I said. What's the matter? He isn't gone. I still see him, Bev replied shakily. I tried to soothe her by saying, I'm sure Brandon left. I saw him go. Bev shook her head furiously, and the paper skin of her hands whitened as she gripped the sheet tighter. Not Brandon, she said. Thinking she was simply caught in a wave of dementia, I started to explain that the man who was just there had been Brandon, her grandson, but she interrupted harshly. I'm not having a spell, young man. I know my grandson left, but the crab man is still here. The crab man? 
she explained. He crawls on the floor and up the walls on all fours. He doesn't have a head, but when he stands up to grab you, you can see his face. It's in the middle of his belly. He has little black eyes and a horrid mouth full of pointy teeth. Although I found the description highly disturbing and irregular, I did my best to convince her that there was no such thing as the crab man, and that he certainly was not crawling up the walls of her room. She wouldn't be convinced, but eventually cried herself to sleep. When she woke three hours later, she had forgotten all about the crab man, or so I thought. The pattern of Beverly's neurotic episodes became so regular I started making it a routine to wait outside while Brandon visited. He was able to spend less and less time with her before she dissolved into fearful tears. Most times, her panic subsided once I replaced Brandon at her side. She would simply drift off to sleep. Other times, she described horrible things I thought were a malignant symptom of her decaying mind. For example, one time she grabbed my wrist as I tried to draw the covers up to her neck. Did you check for wingworms? she asked. Ringworm? I replied, confused. Why would she be worried about parasites all of a sudden? No. Wingworms. The tiny flying worms that get inside you and eat you alive, she responded. I told her there was no such thing, but she insisted. They were just here. I saw them sticking to the walls. They were slithering on my window. Don't you see their trails? Of course, there were no worm trails on her window. There were no bugs in her room at all. I learned it was best not to tell Bev she was imagining the things she talked about, but rather assure her of her safety and let her sleep. Another time, Bev shrieked as I sat down at her bedside. It's right behind you, she shouted. I couldn't help but leap out of the chair and turn around. The room was empty, besides us, though. Oh, I thought I saw the mantipede again, she said. Beverly, I spoke as soothingly as possible. What in the world is a mantipede? Bev rolled herself to her side and explained as her eyes danced around the room. It has a body like a dragonfly, but instead of wings, it has two giant pincers coming out of its back. It also has legs like a dragonfly, but they're joined at the bottom. Its feet are like a man's hands joined at the wrist, and it walks around on the fingertips. I helped Bev complete her sleep routine and went straight to my supervisor, Laura. I told her about Bev's visions, about the strange and disturbing creatures she was continually dreaming up. Laura seemed to brush the oddities off. I was relatively new at Shady Grove at the time, and I guess she thought I didn't have enough experience with dementia patients. Then I described the crab man. Laura stopped me halfway through the description, asking, Does he have a face on his belly? Yes. Did she tell you about him too? I asked. No. Mr. Danvers did. Mr. Danvers was another resident at Shady Grove. He'd arrived more recently than Bev, and as far as I'd observed, they didn't interact much. I found it unlikely that Bev would have confided in him about the creatures she was seeing. Help me keep an eye on this, Laura said. Let's see if we can figure out where these monsters are coming from. That was already my intention. I became a nurse because I wanted to help people, to care for them. In many cases, I found that meant protecting them from their own minds. I had already shed my uniform and grabbed my car keys from the office. 
ready to leave Shady Grove behind for the weekend. On my way to the exit, a resident called out to me. Will you check for wingworms? I didn't have to ask for clarification this time. I was sure she said wingworms and not ringworms. I knelt by her wheelchair and pretended to check her over. There's nothing on you, I promise. Wingworms aren't real, did you know that? Her eyes became chasms and she shook her head aggressively. She pointed an arthritic finger above us, drawing invisible lines across the ceiling. There's one, there's one, there's another one. I can see their little wings and their hungry little teeth. Don't try telling me something's not real when I can see it with my own two eyes. This ain't a loony bin, Sonny, she chided. No, but it's just one crooked step away from one, I thought. I wheeled her back to her room, apologizing for my perceived mistake all the way. When I returned from my weekend, which was actually a Wednesday and Thursday since nursing home residents don't honor the standard work week, I found Laura in apparent distress. She had a disordered stack of papers on her desk, from which she held one up as I entered her office. I asked everyone to start recording their patients' monster sightings, she said. Those are all reports? I asked. She nodded grimly. Go ahead and read a couple. Doesn't matter which ones, they're all basically the same. I scanned a few pages of mantipede sightings, crab man attacks, and wingworm infestations, growing more concerned with each word. Then I picked up a page with a name I didn't recognize. I haven't heard of Frug before. Who mentioned that one? I asked. Check the bottom, Laura said. Look familiar? The report about a creature named Frug had come from my dear patient Beverly. Was she inventing these ugly creatures and convincing the rest of their nature? Such a demented thing seemed so far removed from her character. I told Laura I'd talk to Bev and see if I couldn't figure out what was going on. I brought the Frug story with me. I casually brought up the report after Bev and I discussed my weekend. She was unusually alert that day, which helped. Can you tell me about something called a Frug? I prompted. Oh no, is it here? Is it under my bed? No, don't worry, I assured her. Will you please just check? I know it'll suck out my brain while I sleep if you're wrong. I begrudgingly looked under the bed. According to her story in the report, Frog was a frog-like creature who hid in dark, cool places. It waited until its victims were asleep or unaware, then pounced on their chest and launched its long, sticky tongue up their nose, into their ear, or even through their eyes. Then it would, in Bev's eloquent words, suck out your brain. Supposedly, it left its victims alive, but unable to speak or control their bodies. They became prisoners in their own minds. I could understand how that idea was particularly veritable to an aging dementia patient. Bev, are you telling the others about these creatures you see? I asked. Oh yes, of course. I don't want them to get their brains sucked out. So you told them about wingworms and mantipedes? And the crab man, she added. Yes, I made sure they all know. While she was being honest with me, I searched a little deeper. How are you learning about all these terrible things? I'm lucky, she answered. I have the most wonderful grandson. He makes sure I'm safe from all the evil things in the world. I tried to contain my shock. Brandon? Sweet, generous Brandon was feeding her these ideas? Is Brandon telling you about the monsters? 
I asked directly. She nodded cheerily. Our visit was disturbed by a frightful cry out in the hall. I checked through the door and saw Mr. Danvers coming down the hall feverishly. His walker thumped and slid as quickly as his feeble arms could push it. He looked towards me with desperation in his eyes. Mantipede, he screamed. The mantipede is right behind me. Help me, please. I rushed to his side. As I passed the room belonging to another patient, I heard her scream, Don't let it in! It'll kill me! How was it these patients who often forgot where they were could so vividly remember these fictional creatures? How infectious were Brandon's terrible creations? As I did my best to comfort Mr. Danvers, the man of the hour happened to appear at the end of the hallway. Brandon. He'd come to visit Beverly, but upon seeing me struggle with a man mumbling about the mantipede, Brandon froze. We locked eyes and I did the only thing I could think of in the moment. I yelled, Security! Before the last syllable was out of my mouth, Brandon had turned tail and run. I heard his shoes squeak through the halls. I heard a confused commotion in the lobby and the virtual ding of the opening visitor door. Our security guard appeared at the end of the hallway looking embarrassed. Uh, he got away, man. Want me to call the police? I can't really do anything once he's out of the building. Look behind you, screamed Mr. Danvers. The security guard spun around, but of course, there was nothing there. We're in discussion with Shady Grove's lawyer to determine what actions can be taken against Brandon. So far, it doesn't seem like there's much we can do. We filed a no trespass order so he can't come on the property anymore. If only we could do that for his imaginary creatures. They've completely taken over the nursing home. Patients scream out in terror at all times of the day and night. They're afraid to be alone, but when they're together, they convince each other of the monsters in the closet or under the bed. As their reality slips into the nether, it's replaced with horror and fear. This thought breaks my heart, but I fear it's becoming an inevitable reality. All of these idea-infected patients will spend their final days, weeks, months, maybe even years, in unavoidable terror. You can support The Warning Woods by clicking the Anchor Support link in the description, or by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash thewarningwoods. Of course, the best way to help is by writing a review and following this podcast in Apple Podcasts or subscribing on your favorite podcast app. Thank you for listening. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. 
That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.